Macro Podcast number 336 for January 9th, 2013. Welcome to another Macro Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. It's a new year, and yet we still have a bit of business to finish up with the old one. And by that, I mean it's time to revisit some of the best Mac gems of 2012. And when you talk gems, you mean our own gem meister, Dan Frakes. Dan and I run through some of his favorite picks right about now. I'm joined by Dan Frakes to discuss his favorite Mac gems from 2012. Hey, Dan. Hey, Chris. How you doing? Good. So what is this list based on? This isn't like a, a yearly gems thing that we all voted on or, or what? Well, you know, for our Eddie Awards, which the Macworld editors, we pick our favorite products of the year. That's a big, it's a big process, right? We all meet and we argue it out and then we come back a week later and argue again. And, you know, it lasts for like a month of arguing, right? So um, the gems are more personal in that I, I, it's, I'm the gems guy, right? So um, I, I have more and more people these days writing gem reviews for me, but I still am sort of the person who handles all the gems. And so at the end of the year, I go back and I look at all the gems we've reviewed, which is usually about 100 to 120 each year. And then I pick 10 to 15 uh, that I think stand out. And some of them are ones that we actually as an editorial staff picked as Eddie's. So this year we have one that won an Eddie award last year. I think we had four actually. Uh, and so that one makes the list. Uh, and then the rest are just things that I think stood out because they were, um, they were, they were a really good value. They were, did a lot for cheap. They were really innovative. Um, they, they, they really improved productivity or, you know, the truth is some of them were just things that I used every day after I discovered them and they made the list because I really liked them personally. All right, for those who are new to this whole gems thing, mm -hmm. how do we define a gem? So the way we define gems nowadays are uh, it has to be less than around 30 or $35, so it's got to be inexpensive, uh, and it has to earn a 3.5 mouse rating or higher, which on our scale equates to somewhere between good and very good or higher. Um, you know, and it's interesting because it used to be, you know, maybe three, four years ago, if we had a really good gem that was $20 or $25, people would say, oh, that's a great deal. But with the uh, the App Store, the Mac App Store and the iOS App Store kind of bringing down the prices, um, we still have our, our same criteria of like $30, $35 or less. But people now are, are offended sometimes if we give them a $20 gem because they're like, that's not cheap. That's expensive. So, um, you know, who knows? Maybe someday we'll, we'll adjust our our pricing to to reflect the fact that prices have gone down but uh in my mind 30 bucks for something that you use every day and really helps your your productivity or really makes your mac work better um that seems like a bargain to me okay well let's go through some of the gems um we started with tweetbot which also won an eddie award right so with all the other twitter clients out there what makes tweetbot special well, our colleague Lex, uh, Lex Friedman reviewed this one, and the, you know, the biggest appeal, I think, of TweetBot for Mac is that it is, in my mind, in a lot of our minds, the best Twitter client for iOS, for iPad and iPhone. And so a lot of people had been asking for this for you know, quite a while, saying, I really wish they had a Mac version because I don't like any of the Mac clients out there. And they did that. They brought it to the Mac finally, and they did it while embracing the, its iOS roots, making an app that... If you've used the iOS app, this will be very familiar and do things much the way you're used to, but also 
in taking advantage of of OS ten technology and 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 doing things the way a Mac user would want to. And so they did that. They blended those two things really well and. Uh, turned out to be one of the really the best clients on the platform. Uh, you know, Twitter clients are very personal. Some people like different things than others, but um, it really stood out, I think, this year. And and I should also mention that another gem also won an Eddie Award this year, and that was NetSpot, which is a an app for mapping out your Wi-Fi network and figuring out where you have dead spots and how you can improve the coverage, like in your home or your office. But... Um, the the Eddie Awards year goes from November to November, and the Best Gems year goes from calendar year, January 1st to December 31st. And uh, NetSpot actually was on my Best of Gems list last year. So uh, a couple of pe- readers asked about that. We we're a little, a little confused by that, and that explains it. Okay. Um, let's go further down the list, then, and um, let's start with Bartender. I When I saw the name, because I haven't used it, I thought, oh, great, it's an app that I can use to make a gin fizz. <laughs> but it turns out that's not what it is at all. Not so what at does this all. do? You know, this, oh. Dan Miller, our, our, our colleague, reviewed this, and it's turned out to be one of my absolute favorite gems of the year. Uh, and that is because I use so much crap for lack of a better word on my Mac and that I have my menu bar is packed with third party menu um, system wide menus. Uh, you know, the little things that I, you launch an app and it shows up only in the menu bar or, mm-hmm. or it gives you a little extra thing in the menu bar to control it. Uh, I've got things up there from geez, from from Dropbox, from um, screen sharing things, from growl, from um, remote uh, remote access, uh, screen a screenshot. I mean, I've, it's just packed, right? I've probably got about 25 up there. So what Bartender does, um, first and foremost, is it gives you a sort of pop-up menu bar, a second menu bar that shows up just below the the main menu bar and lets you move anything that you don't need all the time into that secondary menu bar. So you can keep just the things that you always want to see. So for me, I've got like my VPN menu extra. I've got Dropbox. I've got a hard drive monitor. I've got a couple of things like that. There's about five or 10 that I always want to see a calendar. Fantastical and everything else you put in bartender's bar and it hides until you want to see it. And then uh, when you want to see, use one of those other ones that you've hidden, you either press a keyboard shortcut or you, or you click the bartender icon in the menu bar and up pops your sort of, you know, your second class menu items. <laughs> they pop up below the menu bar and it's, um, it's helped me, especially on my laptop, my MacBook Air, which has precious little menu bar space. Uh, it's given me a, a new sense of order up there and shows me just the things I need all the time, but still gives me access to all the other ones. And then the second thing it does, which you know is almost just as just as good for me because I've always wanted to do this, is um, Apple's menu extras, the, the Apple branded menu items. You can actually hold the, down the command key and move them left and right so you can arrange them however you want it. But third-party menu extras, third-party system-wide menus, you can't. So that's always been, you know, it's kind of an annoyance. And I, we see a lot of reader comments about this in, the, in our forums and email. So Bartender actually tweaks the menu bars so you can change the order of any of the menu items up there. So you can rearrange them to your heart's content without any restrictions. So it's a really cool thing that um, I, I ended up reading Dan's review, downloaded it right away, and have been using it ever since. Okay. So in general just on this subject, do you think developers are overusing the menu bar? Because like you, I find that I have to delete stuff I don't use very often. 
And I can see how bartender would be useful, but I'm not sure everything I have really needs to be yeah. in the menu. Bar. I, I think that's a, I think that's a fair evaluation. I think that there are a lot of things that use the menu bar that really do benefit from being in the menu bar, especially things that, for example, are give are are, are showing you the status of something. Um, some people like there are some Twitter clients that give you the option of a menu bar um, item so that you can see when you have new direct messages or new um, mentions. And then there are some hard drive monitors that show you like the status of your hard drive, the, the amount of space you have left, or if you're getting too low. Things that show status, I think, really do belong there. But there are a lot of things, like you said, that just put something there, even though they don't really need it. Uh, and, and they're doing that to avoid to avoid the, using the dock for some of them or for others just because they want to be front and center where you can see it all the time. I don't know. But I agree with you that there are some that just don't need to be up there. And, and bartender is a good solution for that. Like, um, you know, I've got... I've got Crash Plan. My Crash Plan backup app has an icon in the menu bar. Um, the Bluetooth menu item that Apple uses. I like to be able to turn Bluetooth on and off, but I don't really need to do it that often. Uh, and, and so things like that that just, you know, I actually, I actually put st uh, Spotlight and Notification Center in the bartender bar because I like them when I need them, but I don't need to see them all the time. So it's really good for that use. All right. Well, speaking of things that I don't know what they do, um, Clarify. I read the description. I haven't <laughs> downloaded it, and I haven't a clue what this thing does. Well, it, it's a little nichey in that it's not the kind of thing everybody's going to want to use. But what it does is, uh, if you've ever tried to create like a how-to document, maybe in, for your office or for you know, for school or for a friend, saying this is how you do something, usually it entails okay, taking some screenshots, um, opening up a Word or a Pages document. Uh, moving those, in, putting the screenshots in there, pasting them in, writing descriptions. Um, if you wanted to put some arrows or maybe circle something, then you've got to wait. You've got to back up, take that image out, put in an image editor and draw a little red circle and an arrow that says, you know, click this. Or, you know, all those steps, they're doable. They're doable with the tools you have, but they take time and they're a hassle. So what Clarify does is it's, it's intended, it's designed just to make how-to documents, manuals and things like that. And so... You open, a, you open a clarified document, a brand new one, and you click a button and it says, okay, take your screenshot. So you, you, it uses screenshot tools just like the, the OS. You just you know, you can drag a section of the screen or take a picture of a window or the whole display. And then it pops it up into that step and it gives you a bunch of tools right there for annotating it, for putting text on the image, for, um, for doing callouts. And then there's a section at the bottom where it lets you explain what you want, what what that that image is for. You know what steps the person needs to take in that in that in that screenshot. And it even has little like number callouts, so you can put a little one somewhere on the screen, and then have a step one and say click here or or you know, read what it says here. And then there's a two and a three, so you can actually do all these things very easily with uh, a really nice interface, really quickly, and the kind of you know, I actually did a how-to document for a friend who was trying to have, they were having problems with their computer, and I wanted to explain to them how to do what they need to do. And it would have taken me on the phone probably 45 minutes, because you know how phone support goes. Yeah, um, yeah. If I had tried to do this in text edit or Word or Pages, it probably would have taken me a good half hour or an hour. Uh, and Clarify, it took me like 10 minutes to just whip up a simple, here's how you do this. And uh, so it's it's not something everybody's going to use, but if you've ever needed to do this, it's really easy and really fast, and the and the, the results look really nice. Okay, well, that's another one I'm going to have to try. Next, 
I'm big on audio utilities, uh, audio editors, and I also have a great fondness for Rogamiva's Fission, mm -hmm. which is uh, is a easy to use audio editor. Fission two came out. So what's new and and what earned it uh, your nod this year because of that? Well, I like Fission, the Fission one, the original version, a lot. And for those who've never used it. It's an audio editor, but instead of being a really complex, um, professional-level audio tool, it does the kind of things that most normal people like me need to do, which are um, you know, bring tracks in and trim them down into smaller sections, either for to use in a, in a podcast or in a movie or maybe to make a ringtone. Uh, to, to, you can import, like a, say if you've recorded a, um, an album, an LP, remember those, uh, onto your computer and you've now got one big long track and you want to split it into individual tracks, you can just import that in and it will automatically find all the breaks and split them out into separate tracks and let you put the, the metadata, the names and tracks and artists and stuff. Uh, it, it lets you um, add fades in and out. It lets you tweak voice recordings for better sound. So it, it does all this in a pretty nice interface and it does it in the original format. So a lot of apps will audio recording apps uh, or excuse me, audio editing apps will make you record or import your recording and then it will actually convert it to a different format and make you edit it in that different format. And then you export it back out to the original. So that can, that's a hassle and it can result in a loss of quality. So fission does all of its editing in the original format, whatever that format may be. And um, one of the, the um, uh, new things in version two is that it supports FLAC, F-L-A-C, which is a lossless audio format. You can convert to and from, if you want to convert, AAC and MP3, uh, AIFF, WAVE, FLAC, and Apple lossless formats. Uh, it now has a better interface. They, they claim it performs better, and our reviewer, Kirk McElhern, actually said that he, he found it was actually a much better performing and better uh, and easier to use app now. Uh, and you can now, which is a weird thing that you couldn't do before, you can now open multiple windows and edit multiple files at once, which you couldn't do in the past. And that was kind of a hassle, especially if you wanted to cut, cut and paste between files. Uh, and the other thing, which I'm sure you'll, you'll probably appreciate, is that you can now do um, chapterize AAC files. So when you're uh, editing podcasts, you can now create podcast chapters. That's nice because so few tools do that. Yeah. You can do it in GarageBand and... Um... I'm not even sure if Logic supports it, but it's nice that an inexpensive tool like this does yeah. that. So, and GarageBand uh, is kind of overkill for adding chapters to a, to yeah. a podcast. Yeah, right, right. Okay, next up, Hazel Three. Now, I have Hazel. I understand why it's on the list. I have to say, I've tried using it, but I just can't get into the <laughs> workflow of the thing. And I know Dan Miller loves this thing yeah. and I've tried to love it too, but is there a secret for me to start using it consistently? Cause I know it's cool, but again, I just can't quite work it into my workflow. No. And I have, I'll say this. I am the same way. I have, I've used it. Dan Miller, our colleague reviewed it um, and he lobbied for it to be included because he really likes it. Uh, I've tried it a few times and I, I use it and I recognize the utility, but my workflow, it doesn't fit in my workflow very well. And I think part of it is that um, I, I'm a little too hands-on when it comes to files. And this is a, this is a flaw in 2013, I think, in my, my workflows in that <laughs> I like to put things that, there myself. I like to put it there. It helps me remember where I put it. And um, Dan Miller, on the other hand, is, is, is a little more modern than me in this respect. I think he would rather just say, okay, a file comes in. Hazel or the OS deals with it. I know it's there somewhere. I don't really need to know all the 
thing steps it went through to put it there. And and I think really at its root, it, it's more a sense of I'm I'm a little OCD that way, and so it doesn't fit into my <laughs> workflow. But it's very good, and Dan loves it, and I know a lot of other uh, Mac users who use it and love it because uh, for, well, for those who who've never used Hazel. What it does is it 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 watches every watches your Mac and it watches folders you designate on your Mac, and when certain things happen, the, a file is added, a file is changed, um, a file is moved, it automatically performs actions. So, for example, you can have it so that uh, whenever a new file shows up in your downloads folder, Hazel says, "Okay, if this is a JPEG, I'm going to put it in this fo JPEGs folder over here. If it's a, a DMG, a disk image file, I'm going to move it to my new disk images to test out folder. And so it does all these automated tasks of filing and managing files so that you don't have to. So it's a really clever utility. It, it the, the newest version offers like a, a much more fine, uh, you, you have a much more uh, fine grained options for nested conditions, um, new criteria. You can even do things based on Apple script and shell scripts. Uh, and so it's really nifty. I don't use it normally. I turn it on once in a while if I'm doing some tasks that I know I'm going to just be automating movements over and over of files, but I don't use it day-to-day, 24-7 like Dan does. See, I'm the polar opposite. I am not at all OCD. Um, I'm a pig, really, when it comes <laughs> to organizing things. I, I'm just a messy, disorganized person. And Hazel would be great for me because it would help me organize my stuff, but I'm so disorganized that I can't take the time to learn how to use it properly and become organized with it. So I think somewhere between us, yeah. there's the perfect spot for Hazel. Yeah. And, um, and and I think that the somewhere between us is probably a lot more people than are with us. So yeah, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it is, it, it's a really nifty utility and it, it works well. And, um, and uh, like I said, I know a lot of people other than Dan Miller who love it as well. So I, I keep saying one of these days that I'm going to, use it more because I recognize there are things that I do every day that Hazel could be doing for me, but I just haven't had the time to sit down and set it up. Speaking of other tools that uh, can be a little complicated, this is one that I actually use and I like a lot, which is Little Snitch. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you personally use it? I use it on one of my Macs, not on the other. Um, it's, you know, I, I whenever we, we've reviewed this in the past before, whenever we review it, we get people who write in saying they love it and it's the greatest thing ever, and others who review who write in and say they hate it and they can't believe anyone would use it because of it's it, it's a little onerous at first, right? And I'm yeah. sure you've had this problem before, where what, when you first start using it, so Little Snitch is essentially a network monitor, and what it does, it, it, it debuted many years ago, and at the, the time, what it was designed for is that. Apps were starting to phone home, so to speak. They would send out data to a, a remote server that uh, it wasn't based on any requests you made. So it wasn't like you said, here, go check this server or please send this data. It would just on its own behind the scenes, yeah, an app would, would say, I'm going to phone home and I'm going to send some data or I'm going to check for some version or do something that the user didn't want it to do or may not even be aware it was doing. And so Little Snitch was, as its name implies, um, a little, an informer. It would watch for network traffic that you didn't initiate and then give you a dialogue that says, hey, app A is trying to contact this server uh, and would you like it to do so? And then you could say yes or no or okay, only this time or forever no. And it is, since then, it's evolved into where now it it watches many more kinds of, of data transfers. It actually can also monitor incoming data. So if some, if 
if a, a remote server is trying to contact your your Mac or something's trying to hack into your Mac, it can alert you to that. Um, and so essentially it's giving you much more control over what the apps on your computer are doing in terms of network activity. The the downside to this is that it it goes through a learning process. So the first, I don't know, day, week, month, depending on how much network stuff you do, how many apps you use that contact uh, other servers over the internet, the first initial period, you have to approve almost everything. So anytime your, your, your email client contacts a, a non-standard port, your, um, your web browser or some website uses a non-standard port, your, every app you have that checks for updates uh, automatically, all of these things pop up a dialogue on your screen and say, do you want this to be, do you want this allowed? And so during that process, it's, it's laborious and it's annoying. And, you know, a lot of people give up right then and there. So um, that is its biggest drawback. But if you would like to have more control over what you want to do, it is by far the easiest way to do so. You don't have to dig into any kind of, of, of firewall settings. You don't have to configure arcane commands and terminal. Uh, it just pops up a window and says, hey, this is what's happening. Should I do it or not? And so... Um, it's it's really nice for that if you care about that kind of thing. But like you said, it, or like you agreed, it's 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 a little onerous at first. It is, and I didn't use it for years because I would I try to use it, and like you say, for the first few days, it's bugging me constantly. I said, forget it. I'm I'm not interested. I finally, you know, put money down for the thing to buy it instead of going through demo mode. And I said, okay, well, I've spent whatever it costs on this thing. I'm going <laughs> to so you I'm force actually- yourself with money. I sort of. It was just because I knew that I, there were certain things that I wanted to do, and I figured if I'm going to pay for it, I'm really going to use it. And it took about four days of it bugging me, and finally I got it trained pretty well. And now it pops up every so often, but really not that often. Um, and I find there are a couple of things that I absolutely love about it. The first is that I can block Adobe Updater, <laughs> which annoys the heck out of me because it's constantly, you know, whenever you fire up Photoshop or something else, off goes Adobe Updater. says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to update this and this and this and this. I go, no, I don't want you to update anything. Leave it alone. And it won't. It will come back the next week and do it again. So now you can just block that entire thing and it, it can't operate. Uh, Microsoft Update is another one that I've blocked out. Um, there are a couple of utilities I use that I allow certain parts of it to work and other parts not. For example, um, Unison will uh it's for a news reader news news uh, yeah news group news group reader right right and it will go so far and then it will start it will want to download google ads and this kind of ad and this kind of ad i said no you can't download that so i can disable that stuff Uh so i keep my pages free of junk and get to see just the information i want so it's um increasingly more important because there are these applications that are trying to bring in stuff that maybe you don't want, but you do want some of the core capabilities of them. Right. So I think it's worth it. But for those people who are, you know, holding their heads at home saying, no, I hate this thing because it bugs you so much. It does at the beginning. But honestly, after about a week, if you are good about it, it will stop and you will only see those when you really want to act on them. Right. Next up, um, I use Outlook and I'm not happy with it, but I have to keep using it because of its filtering. Uh, we mentioned something called mail tags. Mm-hmm. Is that going to do anything for me to convince me to move to mail? <laughs> this is a loaded question. It um, is kind of because I keep again I flirt with mail yeah. and then I go no I don't think so. I, yeah I switched from from exchange or excuse me I'm from um, entourage. Uh, thank you. Gosh, it's I've heard it from my mind. 
I've switched from Entourage slash Outlook uh, a couple years ago, and I'm glad I did, but it's also because of third-party mail plugins that enhance mail beyond its its stock features. Without those things, I couldn't use mail, and I wouldn't be able to have made the switch. So uh, I, there are still things I miss, though, and, and MailTags does help in this respect in that what it does is it integrates all, pretty much seamlessly with mail. Once it's installed, you really don't even realize that it's not part of mail. And what it does is it lets you assign tags or, or keywords, whichever you'd like to call them, to individual messages. So you can, you can, you know, work, instead of just having, well, I, well you remember in Entourage and in, in Outlook, you have categories. You can assign work and, and home and things like right. that. So this lets you add tags or keywords like that. So you can have work, home, um, you know, pr a project name, uh, a pr certain person as metadata for messages. And then you can use those tags, those keywords, with rules and with a mail search feature. Uh, and so, and you can, you can assign those, those tags and, and, and keywords, colors and priorities. You can attach reminders to messages that are right there in mail rather than having to set a separate reminder in the reminders app that says, you know, respond to this email at this date. You can actually do that right in mail and just assign a, a reminder date and time to follow up on an email. Uh, and you can even attach notes to messages right from within mail. So it's, it's, if you're the kind of person who uses mail heavily and you base a lot of your productivity and your, your everyday work tasks on your email, uh, it adds a lot to it without adding a bunch of extra, you know, interface or things like that. It just feels like it's part of mail. Yeah. Cause I've, I have used it. And I think where I fell down, and this is what I use Outlook for, is that I tag contacts with categories. Right. So that if I get a message from a certain PR firm, for example, I want to filter all that stuff into a specific folder. But I don't think MailTags does that. I think you can flag messages, but I don't think you can flag senders. Yeah, and, and, and that's an interesting thing because one of the things where I think MailTags doesn't do, and I, you know, I, it's, I, I need to look at it again, but one of the things that it doesn't do, which would be nice, is that it, it it lets you set, you know, categories and, and messages and, or excuse me, categories and tags and keywords manually on messages and then use those for rules, but it doesn't do the other way around. So, for example, what would be nice is if you could set up a rule that says, if I get a message from this company, set the tag to this. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's something that it doesn't go both ways and and that that would be that's actually a really good feature request for for it because that that would probably approximate what you're doing with contact categories in in outlook that's exactly it if and if you are listening any developer please get me out of outlook as soon as possible and all i need is to be able to tag contacts so that when i receive a message from x sender i can I can set up a rule that will automatically recognize them and say, oh, they're a PR firm or they're this or they're that. And now I will automatically move that message to a folder so that you can browse it later at your will. Please. Okay, well, we'll see how powerful I am to see if anybody implements such a feature. I wish Apple would do that. I mean, why can't Apple do that? Well, and yet my I was I was just going to say the the mail tags in the latest version it does claim and I haven't tested this feature that you can set tags as you receive mail by using mail tag actions with rules. So maybe the latest one might be worth looking into. Okay, I'll go back and revisit it and if it works I will 
write something somewhere and and bless them and uh i paid for it already i'll pay him again <laughs> just for that one feature i paid a lot of money to to use mail instead of on like i have to say i know i mean uh, anyway so i shouldn't get on this yeah. outlook ridge that's for so, another podcast i think it is um and so i will settle down by talking about pacifist because it's very pacifist um <laughs> So it made the list, and it's one of these tools that I rarely use, but when I right. need to, exactly. it's great to have. Yes. Um, so why don't you explain what it is, and then if there's anything new to it. So when, when, when OS X debuted, th there came this new idea of packages, which are, they look like a file, but they're really a folder with a bunch of stuff inside. But the way the OS treats them is that it looks like a file. Um, and so you can actually... For those of you who've done this before, you know, you can right click on a package and then say show package contents and see what's inside. Pacifist, uh, when you drop an, an installer package or um, an MPKG file, which is also kind of an installer package, uh, onto Pacifist, it shows you all the files inside of it. It gives you information about them, uh, lets you browse them hierarchically. Um, and what the, the, the idea here was that originally, if you ever wanted to reinstall part of a package, for example, maybe there was an OS update that that didn't work right. You, everything seemed to be working right except for one thing, and you knew that there was a particular file inside the installer that you needed to replace to get that functionality. And you know, these days you don't really have to do that this much. But I remember there were days, you know, in the first few years of OS 10 when that was kind of like one of the big troubleshooting tools, right? We used to say, mm -hmm. "Oh, let's go get this file from the installer and reinstall it." So Pacifist let you not only view the, the contents of package files, but also just install individual files uh, without having to, to run the entire installer. Uh, these days, it also still does that, but it, it also now will let you just it extracts files. You can just pull one particular file out, like maybe an image or a readme file or something. Uh, it lets you verify installation. So you've just installed an OS update, and for some reason, things are going weird. So you can drop the installer the OS update installer onto Pacifist and then run the verify command and it will say, oh, if something went wrong when you installed this. This file isn't where it's supposed to be. And then that tells you, okay, I need to reinstall the, the, the update again and chances are it'll fix it. Um, it. It now supports things like disk images instead of just file packages, uh, file archives. You can actually do this with remotely uh, remotely stored packages, like for example, a, a lot of network administrators, they store their OS up, OS 10 updates on a server and install them from there. Um, and this is actually a really convenient tool for for that kind of thing because you can actually look at just put a URL into Pacifist and it will let you view the contents of the remote installer package without having to download it first or copy it first. Um, it lets you do a searching of files across packages. Uh, it gives you it has a kernel extension report where you can uh, just tell it to look at all the kernel extensions on my computer and show me all the ones from Apple, all the ones from third-party ones, the age, how old they are. Uh, so, so you can kind of, if you're having problems with your computer, you can look and say, wow, I've got a kernel extension here that's not from Apple that's four years old. That's a good good candidate for causing problems. Um, and it has a Quick Look plugin now, so you can actually, if, you, if you've got an installer package on your Mac, you can just select it, press the space bar, and it will show you the pa the contents of that package without having to do all the show package content stuff. So it's it's really, a, really kind of like, um, Clarify is a really niche product, but if you ever need to use it, it's it's a lifesaver. 
Okay. Um, you also have a couple of honorable mentions. So why don't you mention them honorably? Well, a couple of them um, are on there, sadly, only because Apple took something away in Mountain Lion. Uh, ah. And that is the uh, the display menu. So you used to be able to go up to the, to the menu bar, click a, one of the menu extras, and change a resolution of your screen. And you can't do that anymore. And when Mountain Lion came out, that was one of the number one or, or either number one or one of the top two requests I got from readers, people saying, they took this away. How do I do this? I want it back. Um, and so there's two two uh, gems this year that I gave honorable mentions to that, that give you that back. One's called Display Menu and one is called Quick Res. Um, display Menu is pretty much for all Macs and it gives you a system-wide display resolution menu that the one I Mountain Lion got rid of. Uh, and, and it works well and it's, um, you know, it's just so convenient and so many of readers said, oh, thank you, we wanted this, that we gave an honorable mention. Uh, the other is called Quick Res. It's really intended for Retina Display Macs, so the MacBook Pros uh, that that have the the super high resolution displays, because it lets you not only change the resolution but also give you access to any resolution that your Retina display supports, which is unique because Apple's display pane of system preferences doesn't give you the highest resolutions; it only gives you the official, you know, officially supported ones. But all these Retina displays can actually do, I think, it's twice the resolution of what's available um, from the uh, from system preferences. And so Quick Res lets you choose those uh, if you really want them. The other thing it lets you do is that if you've got, say, two or three resolutions you use all the time, maybe for testing website layouts and things, you can choose your favorite resolutions and then cycle through them by just clicking the menu bar icon or by using a keyboard shortcut. So it's, it's, it's pretty nifty for people who do a lot of layouts and screen testing. Nice. Uh, anything else in honorable mentions that deserve your mention? Uh, you know, um, Do was one that the Serenity Caldwell, well, Caldwell, excuse me, our our colleague really liked. And it's a, it is a Mac version of the really popular um, timer reminder app for iOS. Uh, and another one that actually, you know, Pop Clip, it's called. And I originally reviewed this early in the year, and I thought it was kind of neat in that what it does is it it gives you iOS like popovers for text tasks. So on iOS, if you tap on a text field or in a text document, it gives you a little popover for like a copy, paste, bold, italicize, things like that. And a lot of people really like that that kind of, of interface. And so PopClip gives you that on the Mac. Whenever you select text, it pops up a little thing that says, you know, copy, paste, bold, you know, format, things like that, define. But... Um, I wouldn't have given it an honorable mention until later in the year they added support for extensions, which are are uh, kind of like little add-ons that change the things that show up in that menu. And so instead of just your basic copy-paste editing and formatting tasks, you can now add things that normally you would have to do using OS X services, which are generally not too convenient to access. So things like Pay, um, uh, capitalizing text, uppercasing and lowercasing text, um, converting text to markdown, uh, sending text to stickies or Evernote, um, creating a reminder based on some text. So little things that are kind of like OS X services, those things now show up in PopClip's popover whenever you select text, and it makes it really convenient to do these kind of things. Uh, and that, those extensions are really what kind of pushed it over the, over the top and gave it an honorable mention. Um, it's still... Those people that really, really dislike the fact that OS X 
is getting some features of iOS on principle uh, will not like this because it makes OS 10 look more like iOS. But it, I found it to be really convenient. And once it added extensions, I actually went back and started using it all the time on my Mac because there are a couple things that I do all the time that I can now do just by selecting text and clicking a button. Is it actually grabbing services that you have installed or these no, services these, that it makes on its own? These are extensions that developers have, have created for PopClip. Okay. So on the PopClip website, there's actually a link that says extensions and you go there and there are, I don't know, I'm going to guess probably 40 or 50 different extensions wow. now uh, that do anything from formatting to working with other apps and um, things like you can select text on a web page and click uh, and use PopClip to, to create an email with that text quoted in the email. Just little kind of stuff that you could do with Automator or services or AppleScript, but are now PopClip extensions, which are much easier to access. Nice. I'll check that yeah. out. So I know it's early in the year, but are there any gems you've looked at recently that are candidates for next year? Uh, you know, we just started, right? We've only been... Yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's really the fact, beginning of the year. I think have we have we even... Done, I think we only did two this year, and one is um, the only two we've done so far. One is Forget Me Not, which is a a, a mail, another mail add-on. Which uh, do you remember that feature in Gmail they added a while back that said if you send a message, and somewhere in the message you said like attachment or image or file, and it said wait a minute, you, it looks like you might be trying to send an attachment, but you didn't include one, right? Ah. And so it does that for mail. So you, you define the list of words. It comes with some stock words. You can add your own. Uh, and if you send a message, for me, if, if the message contains the words attachment, image, or file, but I haven't attached any files, it just pops up a little thing that says, All right, did you want to send something with this? Or yeah. and, uh, and if no, then you just hit return and it goes. Uh, but if you, I did forget, then it gives me a little an opportunity to, to do that and not be embarrassed and have the person say, Hey, um, you didn't attach the file you said you were going to attach. Uh, so that's one little one. And then another one is actually kind of neat. It's called Beamer. And what it does is it lets you stream a video, any video file from your Mac to an Apple TV. So uh, it's useful both for, for older Macs that don't support Mountain Lions mirroring to Apple TV, um, but also even on newer Macs because Mountain Lion only does mirroring of the whole screen. Uh, any kind of file, you know, um, flash file, MP4, uh, you know, um, Windows Media, any kind of video file you might have on your Mac, you just drop it on Beamer and it sends it to the Apple TV just as if you're playing it, say, from iTunes. So it, it's a nifty, a nifty thing for showing videos without having to hook your computer up to your to your TV. That sounds very cool. I'm definitely going to try yeah. that one out. And 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 there were, you know, we've talked about most of the the, the best gems, but of the year. But there are also a few more in there that are worth looking at too. So uh, listeners might want to check out the article too. Okay, and you can read Dan's favorite Mac gems of 2012 on MacWorld.com. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much for being here, Dan. Anytime, Chris. And that wraps up this edition of the Macworld Podcast. I'd like to thank Dan Frakes and, of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-967-3622. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, macOS, iOS, and technology news, views, and information at macworld.com. See you around.